This is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. Available everywhere good podcasts are sold. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many, many more. I am this week's party host. I am the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. And with me, as always, is my very good friend and a family man of epic proportions. It is the one and only Jack Lazell. How are you? I'm alright, mate. I don't actually have that massive of a family, though. You don't. I... I was just kind of trying to throw like words and praise in your general direction, and for some reason I went to family man. I'm not sure why, but just take it as a compliment. I do, yeah, I do love my family, which is... You have a good, good. family. Like, you have a strong yeah. family, you know? Yeah. Mum like, and dad are all right. Ten me, out of ten. Me and the, me and the dad yesterday spent a, an ungodly amount of time together. Um, yeah, so you, you drove to Holland and back, like, in a day or over the span of 48 hours? In a day, because at the aforementioned, <laughs> my aforementioned, my dad's crazy. So anyone that knows me knows I am a Chelsea fan. Um, I won't get into the football of it all, but I uh, I let my dad sort out the travel uh, for us going to Amsterdam to see Chelsea versus Ajax. Uh, and we were getting the train, so we've got to get the train there on the day of the game and then stay somewhere and get the train back the next day, right? Which is a smart way of doing it. Mm-hmm. That'd yeah. be what, like, Eurostar to, what, like, Paris and then up? Eurostar to Brussels uh, and Brussels, then a train from sure. Brussels. So okay. I think it takes about four hours. Like, it's not even that long of a journey. Um, and I'm a person that does, like, flying. Regardless of that, fl- like, flights are extremely expensive. Uh, the second they announce a football fixture, I, I am almost certain of the fact that they have people who are on watch, you know, like waiting for the TV schedule to get announced so Uh that the second it goes up, they can just immediately multiply the prices by five. Um, For instance, like Spurs were getting massively knocked out of the Champions League at halftime by by the aforementioned Ajax last year. Uh, And I know someone that got a flight from London to uh, Madrid for like basically nothing, essentially. Uh, because there was no demand for it. And then, obviously, Spurs went and turned it around, and then by the end of the game, they were like 10 times more than the person who actually paid that flight. That is absolutely sickening. Do you know what surprises me? And we'll we'll carry on with your story in a sec, but what surprises me is they don't have this with WrestleMania. Like, the three times I've been to WrestleMania, the flights have always been around, like, the prices that I'd expect a flight to, to New York to be. I don't know if like there's a year they're going to clock on because it's not exactly like they're having to wait. You know, they know a year or two in advance when the flights are going to be, but they never, they they never like, you know, a couple of hundred quid more. They're I've been able to find some pretty decent flights. Flights to the continental US though don't tend to vary too much apart from around holidays and stuff, right? So yeah, you know, you get people go to New York. So you went to New York for WrestleMania along with. Let's say conservative estimate around four or five thousand other people from this country. Like four or five thousand is like a very small smattering of like away fans or something. Like it, it's and that many people are going to well. That's what that's what you would have. Like I'd say that's about the max, probably even less that you'd get to for for like away fans going to a Champions League game. Surely, yeah, it it is. But they're all doing an extremely tight window, Mm, and you've got the the fact that it's a short turnaround. So, for instance, the Champions League draw is in a September, uh, and then but like within two weeks you're playing like the first game. So it'll be right at the end of August or right at the start of September, and then two weeks later it's like, right, here's your first game. 
So you've got like no time whatsoever. You know when a WrestleMania is X amount of time in advance and you know when flights are X amount of times in advance. It might make a tiny bump, but that many people go fly to America. It's only when it's in somewhere like, was it in Arizona one year? Uh, Yeah, that was 2010. I reckon in that case, then there probably was a noticeable price bump in flights to Arizona because well, you pro- don't... They, that was probably a noticeable price bump because I don't think you can get direct flights to Arizona from the UK anyway. No, I think you have to fly to what America's East Coast Gateway is Atlanta, isn't it? For, for stuff like that, so you probably have to fly to like Atlanta and then fly to Arizona. I mean, I I flew the when I the the year actually went to Atlanta, I flew to Toronto and then down. Um, so I imagine stuff like JFK and Newark are probably like the the kind of it. Uh, entry points i'm pretty sure i flew directly to las vegas um but i don't know but this was all like five six oh, yeah. years ago so but british people have been flying directly to las vegas for decades yeah <laughs> unlimited amounts actually, of debauchery and, and in fairness the, the actual the the entryway to the, the east coast of america is actually dublin but um that's that's a whole other thing because they have that <laughs> weird like pre-clearance thing yeah shannon as well they used to um uh, which is where my family are from shout out they used to land Concord and stuff in Shannon, uh, which is really cool. When I was a kid, like, and there was literally like nothing else to do in Shannon except like watch planes landing. <laughs> One day we we went to the airport and we literally just watched planes landing, and I got to see a Concord and I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what, actually a couple of week a couple of weeks ago um my my girlfriend was like i want to take you for a surprise i was like okay we like we finished work at um about five and then she's like look we're gonna go we're gonna go and we got on the bus and after about um an hour because the traffic was pretty heavy we was getting closer and closer to dublin airport i was like what? are you taking me to the airport and she's like yeah I was like, what the fuck are you taking me to the airport for and there's a stretch of road that you can uh, stand and um the planes come underneath now the part of dublin that i know like because there are there's a stretch of road that's on the other side of the airport where people sit park their cars and they watch the the planes come in but you're watching the planes going to come towards you where this stretch of road literally the planes are coming overhead and the 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 road is literally next to where like the runway starts so these planes are coming in pretty low um and it's it's a pretty kind of populated piece of roads but you know there's pavements and there's grass and you can just kind of lie down next to the fence and watch the planes come over you and i'd never like that one scene from wayne's world yeah pretty pretty much on his car just watching the planes though yeah Yeah, i mean that's kind of like what it was in shannon and you could just walk all the way around the the airport just because you know you could then. You you can't now <laughs> for reasons that we are all aware, especially if you've got a drone in your hands as well or something like that. But um yeah, it was it's, it's all a... it's all Kyle's fault. It, it, yeah, exactly. Thanks, Kyle. Was that a deep cut? Yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> extremely deep cut, yeah. It's a South Park I mean, reference. Mo- most people would say like, you know, bin Laden or something, but you went straight to Kyle. Yeah. Um Kenny gets sucked into an engine turbine, and then Kyle has to be there to to decree that you have killed Kenny. And anyway, you, you went to you went to Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, it was the worst journey out there, and the absolute quickest journey back. It's bizarre. So, is that? I would imagine a lot of that is due to getting to Dover in the first place. Because um, so it's 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 Folkestone, um, and it's it's a very simple journey. It's like an hour and a half normally right so we left like two and a half hours 
um, and we got to ju- the junction, pretty much the junction before the bridge of the M25, uh, and then there was like a three-car pile-up, and Excellent. they shut the whole motorway for an hour. So we missed our train. So we got there, and they were like, it's okay, you can go on this other train that's an hour and a half after the train that you were originally going to get. And we were like, oh, well, there goes an hour and a half. Great. Okay, fair enough. And like, we literally arrived five minutes after our train left. It was incredibly frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Um, anyway, so then that train therefore got delayed by another hour. So we actually lost two and a half hours. Excellent. So we got into France, uh, got through Belgium just fine, and then Holland. So we started in Holland. There was a massive crash in Breda, which is you have to go right past Breda to get to Amsterdam directly. Shit, okay, so there's another way via Rotterdam. So we started going that way, but you go through The Hague. There was a massive crash in The Hague as well. So I'm like, fuck. I mean, for God bless Google Maps, because we ain't making this game if <laughs> if it if it wasn't for that. So we ended up winding through this like tiny, like Dutch town in the middle with like it looks exactly like if someone was gonna you know put like a generic Dutch town with like canals and all sorts. And there was like a little football pitch. It was lovely, and I was like, fuck, I would live here. This is so nice <laughs> as we're driving through it. Um, and Google managed to weave us away onto the main road to Amsterdam. But we had to drive into the centre of Amsterdam. Due to the unique way that football fans behave, they won't just post you your tickets, right? Because then you could go and give them to somebody else or blah, blah, blah. So you had to collect the tickets from from a collection point. So if they're putting that near the stadium, they put that in the absolute dot most centre of Amsterdam. Like, Imagine driving I, to... I should pre-emphasise as well that for anyone that hasn't been to Amsterdam, uh, Amsterdam is not exactly a car-friendly city, which I'm no, happy it's with. Not. And, and I think is excellent, but it, and yeah, it, it's not a city made for cars at all. We did accidentally take one slight wrong turn and nearly backed. Then my dad sort of backed up and nearly murdered someone. So forget about that. Anyway, we just literally, we get into, so bear in mind we left at seven o'clock in the morning, UK time, or like, sorry, it was like 10 to seven. We got to the point in Amsterdam at six o'clock. That's how much of a nightmare it was, right? And the game kicks off at local time. So UK time, we would have got there at five o'clock and it kicked off at 5.55. So we had to then get, we had to get the tickets on this collection point and then we had to drive them back to the stadium. So imagine in the UK, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, right, is in Tottenham, which is what, a good 10 miles away from like the centre of London. So imagine having to go to Oxford Street, essentially, to pick up your tickets. Yeah. And then <laughs> you have to, so you li- we literally really annoyingly drove past the stadium where we had to go with an hour to go before the game to then go in and get the tickets and come back out again managed to find a car park we had to we were diverted all the way around because of course we're bad chelsea fans so we're not allowed anywhere near the home fans and then we got in the game and it literally missed like the first minute and a half of the game uh and it was so stressful and yet we got home in five hours and like 15 minutes like (laughs) so what the fuck (laughs) Uh, very frustrating. It's it. It sounds like um, people really didn't want you to be there. I was really hoping that I could make a car crash Chelsea analogy, but I have no fucking clue how you're doing this season, so I won't dare venture down that road. Um. Well, very, I would say well. Uh, for a bunch, of, we essentially couldn't sign anybody, and we're playing a bunch of young English players that we thought have been raising through our academy for the last decade, and they're all playing really well. So yeah. 
green shoots, Mark. That's a that's a sort of wanky corporate term I'm hearing a lot of my job at the moment. Green shoots. Okay. All right. You'll have to explain that one to me afterwards. <laughs> uh, so when, like, you know, if something's growing in a field, right? So you plant a bunch of stuff in a field, nothing's happening, and then you just see the first little signs of, of something growing through, like your crops are on their way. So there are green shoots showing uh-huh. for... Okay. Yeah, right. There you go. So in, in a couple of years' time... You'll have a bunch of oak trees. Tomatoes will have a delicious. Yeah, so there's a bunch of delicious tomato that we can harvest. Deep cut references be- to the uh, Simpsons. <laughs> that that sounds beautiful because we'll be needing to grow our own crops anyway. So, um, I, very true. I I saw a bunch of films. I saw four films in the span of a week, Jack, at the cinema. I don't what? even it's, know. It's like it's like your name is Jack. Lazel. I don't even know the last time I saw like more than fucking two films at the cinema in the span of a week. Um, so I'll do a quick uh, like quick fire round. I think you've seen most of these, um, and when we'll do some quick thoughts on them. So uh, last Friday I saw Gemini Gemini Man. Um, mostly out of morbid curiosity because I wanted to see. You know, whenever you have a film where the script has been hanging around since 1997, uh, you you can't help but be curious to know exactly. And the fact that this script had been, like, put on delay, and this film had been put on delay because the technology hadn't been, was not ready yet. Uh, and after seeing this film, I'd say the technology is still not ready yet, or at least not in the hands of this studio, because fucking Marvel seemed to be doing all right with it. Uh, Gemini Man is a really boring, average, bland, sci-fi um, film that would have, you know, starred Sylvester Stallone in the mid '90s and may have been slightly more interesting under that. Um, Will Smith and Mary Elizabeth Winsett are both perfectly solid, and you know, this is another film where Will Smith acts really well, but just the material he has to work with is just no good. And this thing is like, it's like if you take Blade Runner, um, but you actually forget like to try and give like a, a question to be asked. Um, this is what Gemini Man is. Ever since Will Smith said the phrase, it's like we're some sort of suicide squad, his career has been at the toilet. Well, you like say output. that, but he, he prior to that, had done the likes of Hancock and Wild Wild West. I you know, don't he... like Hancock, by the no, way. No, and that's what um, I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, he's... Yeah, but those are the only... So both of those... The thing is, both of those films are really successful. They and, are successful made a lot of money i don't yes, actually they did. know how gemini man oh it, is it tanked doing. It, it absolutely tanked um partly due to two <laughs> reasons one people realizing it was terrible and two uh joker was still making all the money at the box office so uh i think sony uh losing on this film um from what i read uh, watched on uh a looper video but yeah it tanked it tanked hard because um, uh, there was a time like what maybe 10 years ago where he had a string of like every movie he made made at least a hundred million dollars in in america yeah it was this, like it i don't think this would be one of them yeah i mean look at the films he's been in recently i'm just coming back i'm just looking at it i, I mean he was very good in aladdin it must be said I, like, in fairness he was very good in suicide squad oh, like he, suicide it, squad was so bad though, well mate. i i guess i am grading on a curve that like he was that good because everything else was that bad but i think he was I, I thought he was good as Deadshot. I, I thought his portrayal was, was, yeah, like, really good. Like, I'd be happy for him to come back and do something and, like, show up in The Batman because fucking everyone else is turning up in it at the moment. Um, do you know what? I'd only say 
I mean, he was in Anchorman 2, and I did like Anchorman 2, but he was like a tiny, you know, he was in yeah. the Battle Royale of the new scenes. I'd say he's only made one good film in the last 10 years, and that is um, Concussion, which is very good, I feel. Like, it's it's a really interesting story if you don't know a lot about it. Everything else has just been bad. I mean, what happened? Like, the Fresh Prince, man. Like, he's a staple of, like, of that sort of era of us growing up, and... It's just like all the projects that he's taken are just, just absolutely shocking. What was the one with his son? Because that one was really bad. Oh, uh, after is that After Earth? I want to say it was called. Yeah, After Eight. We'll yeah. say that. After um, After Earth, <laughs> uh, it was absolute hogwash. And you know what? Like it was M Night Shyamalan. Like before he sort of he's he's gone through a bit of rehab recently. M Night Shyamalan. Like he's had a few low key like decent movies, but yeah, that was yeah. Like, yeah Glass fucking, was okay. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Glass yeah. was good, but that was like the dearth of his career as well. Yeah. Like, everyone but the thing is, the thing is, like for anyone else, like you go through that many howlers, and it would just be the death of your career. But it's Will fucking Smith, man. You know, everyone like, loves him. It doesn't matter what he does, though. That's yeah. the thing. He, he's Will Smith. He could just turn up on chat shows once a year, every year, with nothing to promote, and people would still be happy to see him there because it's like, he's it's cool. Big Willie style. You know, you, you can't you can't deny that. It is Big Willie style. Yeah, I mean, my one-line review of the movie is more like Gemma, my <laughs> man. <laughs> so the next day I went um, and I saw Sean the Sheep Farmageddon. Um, <laughs> and look. Go on, Mark. Look, all right, here's the thing. Um, if you've look, ever I, watched... I've never got anything bad to say about Ardman anim- animation, by this, the way. Exactly, this is it. Like, if you've ever watched any, like, of the Wallace and Gromits or Chicken Run... Um, I didn't see. I think it was. Oh, Earth. Mark! You just remember. You just reminded me that Chicken Run exists. How fucking uh, great was Chicken Run? Like the the last great stand of Mel Gibson, I think it's fair to say. Oh um, dear, he's another I, one who could do with a better yeah, rehab. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, I haven't seen. I think it's Early Man. Um, I didn't Good. see. Didn't see that. But like in general, you can't really go wrong with Art Man Studios. And like this is, it's it's just it's a perfectly fun solid clay animated movie that doesn't break any boundaries by any means whether it be in terms of the story in terms of animation but you know i had a grin on my face from beginning to end and i can't say i did that with gemini man so fucking sean the sheep farm again that gets a thumbs up from me do you know what the the one the one scene of gemini man sorry to go back to it that i really like there was the motorbike chase through bogota yeah and that, that was fine that was good Oh, that um, was cool. Actually, we should probably mention as well that like there's about one or two scenes in that film where like the young Will Smith looks really convincing, and then the rest of the time it looks it it's really fucking fake. Uncanny Valley, very it's, uncanny Valley. Yeah, like aliens have created him to look <laughs> human, but he actually isn't human. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I would watch Sean Sheep. I I don't think it's the sort of thing. Here's the thing, right? You probably went with your missus. I did. I would have fucking gone on my own. Don't worry about that. No, but I go to a lot of movies by myself just because it is on the way home from work, right? So it's super easy to just go in, take two hours of my day, and then, or I'll wake up early on a Saturday morning, go to the movies, come back home, and then maybe go to the football with my old man or go out with friends or whatever. Like, I, I, I sort of am a very like it's a kind of efficiency thing with me when i go to the cinema like it's very rare where i'm like it's a date night thing of me going right do you want to to another person do you want to go see this movie with me with kids movies as a single adult man in his 
very early 30s, I kind of feel a bit awkward sometimes going Jack, to see a kid's film by myself. There was one fucking kid in that theatre when I went to see it. All right. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but you want to see it at like 7 o'clock at night probably, right? Um, I think so, yeah. But it was still at the weekend, you know? So, uh, it, yeah. yeah they, 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 they were Kids were lacking in that theatre, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. If I went at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, uh, I, I'd feel weird being in there. And there'd be parents looking at me like, why is this guy here? Well, there you go. Go to the 7 o'clock viewing and then you're pretty much guaranteed there'll be no kids. Fair enough. Uh, Official Secrets is really fucking good. Uh, the best of the batch that I saw. Uh, I know you'd given it a thumbs up beforehand. and um, I stand this movie and I stand. Yeah. Kira Knightley in the last couple of years has been fantastic. Well, here's the, the thing, right? So, like, Kira Knightley, I got completely, you know, I just, as far as I'm concerned, I was watching Catherine Gunn and watching, you know, her story about, um, the story is, like, she's a whistleblower. Well, she's not a whistleblower, but she leaks this memo about um, the US and the UK uh, coming together to try and basically... Uh, bribe um, a, a UN election to justify them going to war in Iraq. So it's all about. Yeah, the I mean, first of all, it's a, it's what happened. It's, yeah, it it's is what happened. What happened. It's a true they story. illegally took us to war. Yes. There was no legal sanction for it. They yeah. just wanted the oil. And um, but I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I was watching Catherine Gunn on the screen. I wasn't watching uh, Kira Knightley. Um, I can't say the same uh, for uh, the likes of Reese Siffins or Ralph Fiennes. Um, oh god, no, no! I, Ray Fiennes was good. No, Ra- what I like, Ra- I like Ray Fiennes is Fiennes. great, but he is just—he is him. Like I, unless he's something like Voldemort, he's so, or if he's like completely fucking off the walls and like in Bruges, he just—he has a certain like tone about him that's just like I'm just watching Ray Fiennes as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but I think because because of the the role he's playing, right? He's playing a human rights lawyer who has to be. In control and reassuring, like you can't really inject too no, much. Yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. Whereas Reese Iffens felt like I was watching him in another movie. <laughs> like he was, he was the only thing about the movie that took me out of the movie because I knew the story of Catherine Gunn, but like it, I didn't really know a lot of the detail. And I saw this movie coming out, and I, and I, I started to look it up, and I was like, no, you know what? I just want to watch the film, and then I'll, I'll go read about it afterwards. And it was pretty close to the way the events went, right? But recent fans in this movie, it's just like he can't do more than one or two lines of dialogue without shouting. Like it, it's just insane. It's like a drunk bloke down the pub, and you try and and he will tell you his opinions whether you want to know them or not. It's like only one word or something will trigger him. It's like if anyone says Blair, he's like, "Well, bloody Tony Blair, we should be." And you're like, "Oh my god, mate, just reel it in, okay?" And Honestly, even the he... a- actors in the movie, like Matt Smith, was just like. You yeah. can see some of the the eye raises. You're like, I don't think these are uh, acting eye raises. I think he's like, I can't believe Reese is doing this. I he's trying to eat every bit of scenery around him. Like, Hoover. honestly, like, he pfft. he would have fit in straight into Anchorman. Like, it's that level of just fucking over the top, like completely out of place with the the rest of the tone of that film. And sometimes it's good to have like that little bit of um that that mixture of tones. But this just this was not the film, the time, or the place for that. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like Spike from Notting Hill grew up and got a conscience, <laughs> right? Um, but it's it's incredible. Uh, and <laughs> so as as the film finished, 
I looked at uh, uh, my girlfriend next to me and, um, you know, she's always kind of dreamed about uh, moving to the UK and she's always just had this kind of envision of what the UK is, is this wonderful place and London is this wonderful place. Yeah, and it's all red fun boxes, furry hats and crumpets. We know it, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she just looks at me and is like, my my view and my, my value and my thoughts and feelings on the UK have really dropped after this film. And I'm just like, love, have you not seen the last fucking four years of my country? Like, we're... This you know is what? just one of many things. Do you know what's really depressing? It's like, watch this back to back with... Uh, and this is going to sound really weird, but it, it kind of sparks off what we were talking about the other day. Watch this back to back with the Oasis documentary, right? That is that not sounds... where I thought you was going with this. <laughs> no, I know. That's why I'm saying this sounds weird. So, okay, all right. I'm the listening. Oasis documentary is going to give you context. Like the early to mid '90s in the UK, there was a cultural explosion. Right, we had the Britpop movement. The UK was just you know there, and then you had this guy Tony Blair who was like this great white hope for the UK. Um, you know, it's a sort of a younger guy. Like his methods of communication were were brilliant like he really knew how to get people on side he was like you know labor was always very like heavy left but he was always like sent he was like center left enough to appeal to some of the people like that the voted for the conservatives in the past and and we just had like john major in for like five years uh, and after maggie thatcher john major and he's just a i mean he's i'm sure he's all right but he's just a bit of a blithering tool right he's so then just we a get walking to- ghost yeah, and then concerned. you get to Tony Blair and you're like, here's this young guy that's like full of vim and vigor and you know, he's making sense and you know, he rebranded the Labour Party from everything that people were sick of, right? Whether you think that's right or wrong. And then this happens, you know, this him in bed with America to to go to an illegal war and it's like this really is the sort of last I mean, we just come through like two years of new metal and then at the end of it, <laughs> we get our country going to like, so it just all of the culture and stuff like that, that, that was derived and, and, and began from this like magical time were, were completely bastardized and alienated. And I think Tom York kind of sums it up best in, in follow, um, follow me around when he says, you know, we thought you were different, but now we know we're not so sure anymore. And, you know. The guy's a war criminal, and yet he lives free <laughs> and yeah. roams around. Um, and yeah, him and George Bush, and they're never going to be held to account for what they did. And and it's sobering at the end of the film when they're like four hundred thousand people died in that area, and like however many thousand, I think it was like four thousand British troops, and then obviously a whole mess of American troops would have died as well. And it's like there was no reason for that. Mm-hmm. Yes, Saddam Hussein clearly was not a very good person, and that's like putting it mildly. But was it really worth that level of death and destruction and instability? And, you know, you've seen from what Britain's done for hundreds and hundreds of years, what happens when you go in and colonize somewhere or you go in and, like, just absolutely destroy everything. And you know what? It's because of that Iraq war, really, that we have what we have now with ISIS. Like, ISIS wasn't a thing. It was Al-Qaeda. But, like, a guy that kept, you know, being floated as, like, this big Al-Qaeda guy who was, like, a nothing ended up being one of the people that were the basis of what is now ISIS. So it just, you know, when you match aggression, aggression gets gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's just, it's, it's so sad. And I have so much respect for Catherine Gunn for, I mean, it's, 
it's absolutely the the woman the photo of the woman putting a flower in the barrel of a of a troop's gun like yeah. trying to stop vietnam isn't it it's it's it, it, you know what you're going to do it, it's likely that it's not going to do anything but you're like if i don't do this if i don't take this step i'm going to feel like i'm going to regret it for the rest of my life and and somebody's ethics overruling their profession and and they know that they're likely to potentially go to prison for their actions and they still do it like round of applause it's such an amazing story i think this is the sort of thing they should show in schools straight away i i think like this needs to be something that you show idealistic teenagers and they can now be the next fucking change because my god do we need a change something that they probably don't need to show in schools is terminate a dark fate <laughs> the segue of all segues but i will say this um terminate a dark fate is a good film and I first of all, I need to just 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 to get the context. Jack, have you seen Terminator Three: Salvation and Genesis? I haven't seen Genesis. Genesis. Uh, but I did see Salvation, and that's why I didn't see Genesis. Okay. Um. Right. So the reason that Terminator: Dark Fate works and is a good film is because, uh, they basically go with the the idea that nothing after 1991 exists or happened and that this is just a sequel after uh terminator 2 um which is probably for the best really so and i know like jim cameron's involved in it and stuff which it kind of made me i want to say hopeful but um what's it less cynical is probably a better way of saying it. yeah so what uh, i actually saw um a pretty interesting take in that this terminator film is kind of like what the the force awakens is to the star wars uh films in that it you know very much does the if it ain't broke don't fix it take some of the 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 older elements apply them into this new uh film and just kind of run with it there keep the the tone and whatever and and run with that and right so genesis did have arnie in that uh, but that film, regardless whether he was in it or not, was was just going to be terrible for a number of reasons. Uh, this does, you know, in terms of the plot, it is pretty similar to Terminator 2. Um, they start fucking around with um, alternate timelines, but whatever is Terminator, like, who cares? Um, the, the key things, though, is A, all of the characters in it are very likable and are... And you've got, like, three female protagonists, and they all have, like, their own... Um, characteristics, their motivations, their their personalities, and they're all very enjoyable to watch. Linda Hamilton just eases back into um, the the role, uh, and she's just fucking incredible as Sarah Connor. Like she's just like this fucking embittered grandma at this point who goes around hunting Terminators. Like it's the coolest fucking thing. Uh, I mean that in itself, excellent. like. I saw it in the trailer and I was like, I mean, if it, what you've just described, I was like, if it is that, that is her, her thing. I'm really excited because Linda Hamilton kind of got done dirty. Like she was so great in Terminator 2. And after that, like her career kind of hasn't really been where it sort of deserves to be. So I think it's cool. I mean, let's be fair. She didn't uh, dive off as bad as um, John Connor did, shall we say. Um, But yeah, I agree with you. Like after Terminator 2, it is, it's, tragic that she didn't do as much as she could have done afterwards because like yeah, i feel she... like now i feel like in in 2019 if she does t2 now she goes on and she's in a bunch of action movies she probably gets put in a marvel film at some point and it's just like after t2 like really 
just didn't get the roles and stuff that, that she deserved because she was just so fantastic. Yeah, uh, Mackenzie Davis is fucking awesome. Uh, she she just really nails like her part. She's kind of like um she's a human, but she's augmented so or enhanced. Um, and then and then I really like what they do with with Arnie in this. Like they they kind of explore more of the the humane side of like okay, here's a Terminator who's finished his mission. Like what happens afterwards? And and I think they do some pretty interesting stuff there. Uh, they have some really good like really fucking impressive set pieces action pieces um you know people kind of talk about the the uh, the motorway scene in uh, matrix 2 when they think about like all-time action sequences this has got some stuff that really like has to be seen to be believed and uh yeah i i genuinely think dark fate is an enjoyable film and more importantly an enjoyable terminator film i mean i've seen some mixed reviews for it i i I mean, is it one of those things where it's like if you don't expect anything, you you come out and you probably enjoy it? Or? Uh, uh, look, part, it's partly that you're grading on the steepest of fucking steep curves, uh, which is, you know, a trifecta of terrible Terminator films. So anything which is even, you know, mediocre at best is going to be viewed as a positive. And, you know, the reason that it works is because they pretty much take the template of Terminator 2 and just, you know advance the story 20 years and just say hey okay run with it but even with that they could still have fucked it up considering what we've had before um yeah by no means is it like uh, an all-timer um but for what this series needed in terms of just some serious fucking rehab this was just very much necessary and now, <laughs> after Terminator 2, you would have said, well, we can end this here. Um, after this film, if they wanted to, they could end this fucking thing here. They probably won't, but I would like to think that maybe this would be like, okay, we can just stop here. Um, and if it does, it at least gives the Terminator franchise just a little bit of closure that is 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 it ends it on a positive note. Um, so yeah, I, I can expect there'll be some mixed reviews, but honestly, it's just, it's, I, I, I was thinking about Genesis the other day and, and also Salvation and like Salvation's the weird one because it just so, it's so tonally different and all right, part of it is, yeah, obviously Schwarzenegger's not in it, but it just is this weird fucking thing and I don't particularly care for Sam Worthington, so that's probably part of it. Um, but Genesis is just like all time bad, like astonishingly bad. Because they just do it. because they just fuck around with the story so much, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm not a massive fan of like ridiculous retconning. One one final question: um, Gabriel Luna, who was Rev Nine in the movie, right? The sort of advanced Terminator guy in yeah. the film. Was he good? Because I he was in Marvel's Agents of Shield, which. He's I know it's not. Right? Yeah, I know yeah. it's not an amazing series, but I really, I really liked Agents of Shield, and I really liked him. I thought he was really cool as Ghost Rider, and I just wondered if he was good in the movie because I think he's the sort of guy who deserves to step up at some point. Yeah, it's kind of that thing like where you have, um, like, instead of taking like a big meathead kind of thing, like, because this is the thing. Part of what makes Terminator Two work and what makes the antagonist in that film work is that instead of going fucking with like a big heavy 
um, counterpart to Arnold. They go with Robert Patrick, and he's somehow he's even more menacing uh, as a result of that. And they do something similar here, and it, it he absolutely works. And he very much it again kind of going with the comparisons with with Terminator Two. He very much kind of fits into that Robert Patrick uh, frame um, in that he's he's robotic in the best ways but he does have a couple of lines as well and he just he's very sinister and it's like the the line is is uh i think linda hamilton says something about like how do you kill it and um mackenzie's uh character is like you you don't kill it you just you run from it and it's very much like that and yeah he's awesome he's really really good and the, the special effects with like his character uh, his version of a terminator um is it's some really impressive stuff cool all right. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go see it. I was going to go see it today, but instead I just carried on sleeping. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Uh, okay, should we fucking talk about some video games? Um, yeah, I guess people that tuned into this here video game podcast would appreciate that. All right. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Uh, Jack, do you have anything for me? No, I mean, I've only really had, um, I haven't had a lot of time, so, I mean, I've just been nibbling on bits and pieces that I'd previously played, played a bit more Tetris 99, uh, played a bit more, uh, Baba is You, because I haven't gone back to that for a while, uh, yeah, I haven't really I haven't really played anything new, as it were. I've just sort of been keeping up with the bits and pieces of the industry, really. But it's about to get to a period where there's a couple of interesting things coming out that I am going to play. Um, have you, you have you have you seen the uh, Luigi's Mansion um, uh, add-on or whatever the thing is they're doing for Tetris 99? Oh no! Explain that. I, I think it's just kind of similar to what they did with the the Fire Emblem game. So I imagine there'll oh, be okay. like some bits and pieces and backgrounds and whatever but cool yeah, just just to kind of coincide it's it's a it's an incredible marketing tool that they have this game that they can use to promote other games uh i, I, I quite like that yeah i mean and, and it is a lot of fun tetris 99 it's a good um it's a good thing to just kind of play and you know it you can play it for an hour or whatever kind of like dave when he plays fifa where he just plays it and it just you know takes some takes his mind off stuff fills some time kind of thing yeah um so i have been playing so i got um apple arcade um cool how's the experience so far so apple arcade is um like in terms of like the value for money it's incredible and you can get a a free one month trial and i've been waiting for catalina to come uh to macbook so i could get apple arcade for macbook Uh, so i have that and it's awesome um the actual like the the UI of it on on the store it's not great. Um, I think that they need to do a better job of categorizing um, like the games that you own and just having a way to kind of filter through games because there's no like customization or functionality for it. Um, you just have to scroll down and and it's just yeah like they have like the new games that are out or whatever they're featuring, but hopefully with time they'll do more of it but it's very much like just an early kind of like hey here's this thing put it out there great cool whatever um so like the actual kind of ui experience and the the flow of of that isn't great so far 
Um, so, but I mean, I've just been you know downloading the game straight to my desktop, and I have them there to play. So it's not like you know that inconvenient. I find it odd that there are game stores that just don't know how to display games now. Oh, I mean, or there's how to... there's nothing that's ever been as bad as the 3ds. Like no, no, is... but that was that was going to be my example. Yeah. But like you know, anytime Nintendo try to do it. I mean, they've kind of got it down now. I quite like the Switch store. Even so, it could still be better. Um, I really don't know why, but the Xbox One store just kind of nauses me off a little bit. Uh, the PlayStation store I find crashy as well, but I don't think anyone's ever made it better than Steam. Uh, and I know that might not be an unpopular opinion now because there's so much garbage on steam which to me is what kind of has ruined it a little bit but i just find that a very user-friendly environment to to purchase games on um i I like the the switch's layout like it's very simple and very streamlined and it's very easy to go and find stuff um and the the key thing is that the switch has been out for like two years now and they haven't fucked it up yet like with some massive ui to like oh it's now time to change things up like i i think that um i don't know whether it's the case if they saw how bad the 3ds store was but um i i think the switch is is kind of perfect for me personally like how i would want to stall out um and certainly for like a a console and certainly for like a handheld console uh, i think the switch's um shop layout is pretty good Nothing yeah. will ever top the original Wii, though, purely just for the music. But, music, you know, yeah, the yeah. Wii channel music. There's, like, a YouTube video of that for, like, 10 hours playing. As as there should be. <laughs> yeah, I could put that... That is, like, audio dopamine to me. Yeah. Um, but, so, the, the two games that I've been playing, um, one of them I'd heard a fair a bit about, so I wanted to give that a crack, is a game called um, Grindstone. And it's, it's a puzzle game. Um... And the best way to describe it, so you have like a single screen and you have a grid of, uh, I want to say like anywhere from a grid of like 20, 10 by 20, um, but it can vary. And you have like all of these monsters on the screen that take up like a, 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 it's a square grid basically. Uh, And each monster has a color, um, whether it be purple, red, yellow, or whatever. Uh, And somewhere in the screen is your avatar, who's this kind of weird like lumberjack character. And... What you need to do is um, you have a total that you need to get to, and it could be 50. And what you need to do is you need to kill 50 monsters, which then opens up the exit, which is at the back of the stage. But the only way you can kill these monsters and the way that you actually uh, maneuver around the screen is you have to chain together a combo. Um, But you can only chain together a combo of monsters of the same color. So you need to look around the screen and you move in like uh, any of the like um, eight directions. So you have, you know, up, down, left, right, and then you have the four corners as well. By um, the way, just quick interjection. This literally sounds like the Ragnarok level of Final Fantasy VIII to me, but uh, <laughs> probably with a few more monsters. Like they're they're just you, for some reason you you find this ships floating in the middle of space, and there are a bunch of monsters on it. But like the only way that you can get these monsters to die for sure is you have to kill two of the same color back to back for them to die. It's odd that that idea has been resurrected into a game years and years later, because I always found that very strange. Um, I imagine that this is tonally a lot different to Final Fantasy VIII, but that's just... Well, yeah, I can't imagine there's a (laughs) a Fei Wong ballad playing out at the end of the scene when you kill the last red monsters. Um, Though the soundtrack is pretty good. Um, But yeah, so you kind of look around you, and if you, like, look above and... 
there's a yellow monster and you start to attack it you can then only you know connect with any yellow monsters that are around you afterwards but it's very lenient in that like you know if you've got um yellow monsters above you and to the left of you you can go diagonal first and then come right so you have like a fair amount of kind of maneuverability to work with um what it does do as well is that if you chain together like a combo of five monsters and then that leads you to um there are like these kind of special diamonds if you hit that diamond you can then um move on to like another monster and then uh, connect like another you know however many monsters of that particular color as well uh, if you get up to a combo of 10 that will drop somewhere on the stage one of those diamonds so you know there is the incentive to try and chain together the longest combos possible to give you these diamonds that will help you chain even longer combos together uh, you have ob uh, like obstacles and enemies on the screen so you may have um, this fucking crazy like axe wielding maniac who you have to chain together a combo of 10 before you can hit him but you have to do it on that turn so you can't hit like a combo of 10 and then on the next turn hit him you have to like try and maneuver it so by the time you've got to the 10th um like hit the next one hits him or any you know time after that so you could hit like a combo of 20 and then hit him but you have to have done 10 first and that gets really challenging as you get into the later games because you have more obstacles in the way and it just becomes like increasingly more difficult to chain together those combinations because the 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 assortment of the colors of the monsters is a lot more random um this is some of the grind and grindstone then yeah yeah kinda um the other thing to keep in mind as well is that after every turn that you take uh, another monster on the screen will um start to like he turns manic basically and what that means is if you land next to that monster on that turn you'll actually get hit um so the more turns that you do the more chance you have or the more difficult it is to land on an area that's a safe area uh and your guy has like three hits so and you can recharge those hits like those hits stay with you so if you get hit in one round you only have like two hits left on the next round but you can uh there's like a shop um in the metagame um that you know you can heal yourself with but that takes up uh, whatever the currency is um so again that gets like more difficult later on in the game because you're trying to collect all of um these uh like materials uh trying to you know instead of doing a thing where you know in like premium games premium mobile games where you have like three stars like the top ranking for the level um yeah, that, like cut the I, rope I, or whatever i want to say that started with angry birds i want to that was the first place yeah, i saw that. probably yeah um, what this does instead is that um, you have like three uh, types of items. There's a crown, there is um, like the, the organs of this monster, and there's another thing that I can't remember. And they're all like unique in the way that you collect them, but like as you get further in the game, they're more difficult to get. Um, and so, yeah, instead of just like trying to beat the level in the quickest time, you know, you'll clear the stage and then like the king will appear. And he takes five hits, but you have to chain up a combo of the same color that matches his cape. Um, and it just, yeah, it, it gets pretty tricky later on. Um, but it's really this fucking cool. Not a game for the colorblind, then. <laughs> no, no, I would not recommend. Um, but I would recommend it overall. Um, I imagine, like, I'm playing it on the MacBook, so uh, it works fine in there. But as, like, an actual kind of touchscreen experience, I imagine it, it's perfectly made for that in mind you haven't got a, an iphone have you no i have a, so, a, a samsung galaxy 10 i think 
Yeah, so it would be the it would be interesting to see like what the inputs were on the different um platforms as it was. Like have you got a you've got an iPad mini though, I wanna say, right? Well I do, but it's it's pretty old at this point. I I mean I'd just be worth like giving some of these a go or whatever just to see if their if their experience is any different because I, I always find iPhone gaming is a completely or like phone gaming in general is a completely different experience than even like Switch because you you do have the Joy Cons and stuff but like any console or PC and stuff gaming all of them feel more natural and like you have to design your game completely differently to play on a play on a different platform so i just wondered like what apple did in terms of their arcade to make it different experience to play it on a macbook rather than playing on yeah that. i mean the thing um like so you know if you want to select a, a, a one of the monsters you know you literally just tap click on it uh with the trackpad and you're just going to click and chain your command that way so i imagine on mobile you just literally tap the monster and it chains up the 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 combo that way um you know it definitely i definitely think it's a game that's it was designed with mobile in mind um but uh it's 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 pretty cool like I, you know if i had paid 4.99 for that game alone i'd have been happy with that but the simple fact is that mm. you know it's part of this fucking service that i pay 4.99 and get all these games um the other thing that i've been playing is called what the golf and oh, this looks awesome by the way i've seen lots of this I'm yeah very so jealous. What the Golf is kind of like, if you um, think of what Undertale does for the RPG scene in completely subverting the genre, this is kind of like what the Golf does for golf, um, but like with he heavy elements of like that Quop style type of thing, Octodads, pick your game of choice, Goat Simulator. Um, so like, and there's also kind of like heavy elements of like WarioWare in there as well, because all the levels mm. are very short by design. Yeah. That was my comp when I saw it. I was yeah. like, this just looks like WarioWare. Like, somebody just WarioWare asked a, a golf game. And I'm happy with that. Yeah, so, like, you do the first level, and um, you just you pop the... You, you're on a, a course, and you just have to get the ball to the hole. Um, you don't actually have to put the ball in the hole. You just literally need to hit the flag. Um, and then you go on to the next level. And... Literally the next level afterwards, as I went to um, swing the club to hit the ball, uh, the club just swung by itself, uh, and the club ended up being the thing that I actually had to hit the uh, the flag with. The level after that, uh, the person that I was controlling, he actually just jumps into the air, and I have to hit the flag with the person. Good and ragdoll it, physics? Ex oh, the ragdoll physics. Mwah. Best thing since yeah. Gary's mod. Um, and it just... Wow. It, it just expands from there in terms of the absurdity of it. You know, you have um, rocket-powered balls that you have to get into uh, a football net. Of you, course. Of course. You have... Um, Jesus, I'm trying to think of it. There's, uh, like, downhill snowboarding sections, and there's... At the end of every single one of them, there's a flag you have to hit. There's uh, a level where you have to get hole-in-one, uh, but that literally is... There's a massive hole in the floor that's shaped like a one. Um, and all... <laughs> All of these levels as well, like whenever you hit the um, the the flag at the end, it has some like you know play on words or a pun or whatever that is relevant to the the, the level that you're on, and some of them are pretty funny. Um, there are levels that play out kind of like the Star Wars uh, Angry Bird uh, game, where there's like the physics takes into account like the orbit and the gravity of the the planet that you're on. So um, you know you'll swing the ball and then. 
you'll see like there's a curve because obviously it's the ball takes into consideration the, the the curvature and and the orbit so you have to try and line it up to make sure that you can you know if the flag's on the other side of the planet you have to just try and match up to hit with the the curve in mind uh and just loads and loads of little kind of bits and pieces like that it's really dumb it's a lot of fun and uh it's just saying you can you just kind of sit back with and there's a lot of really good golf games on on mobile um okay golf is my favorite by far okay go uh golf uh desert golf um desert i don't think golf. that gets another love i fucking love desert golf do you know what there's a sort of weird isolationism about desert golf that i really like you know like there's for a start it's a kind of tetris effect of like uh you never beat the game it will just continually regenerate levels and it's just you alone the ball and trying to get it in the hole and there's no real sound or anything and it's all kind of bleak sort of dark washed out colors and yeah i there's something like an odd dystopian golf-like future where all you have to do is put things in holes to advance your life i like that yeah uh so again um they're they're the only two games i've i've properly sat down with there's a couple other things that i want to have a look at um and i also want to just try a little bit of uh sayonara wild hearts just to see what that plays like compared to the switch version but uh so far for like 499 it's even those two games alone the only thing i would really like is if because i don't know what the because i think like the cup for um that apple gets um for any game that is on their store is like 30 percent but i don't know how the fuck that works with apple arcade and i really wish it would just give you an option that like if you just wanted to give two euros like straight to the developer through the apple arcade like a kind of like coffee um patreon sort of thing i'd really like it if you just like hey i'm spending 4.99 i'm getting all these games i'd like to give like an additional contribution to this game because i think this you know this game is really good um so i hmm. I'd, I'd like it if that was implemented at some point in the future yeah i hear what you're saying it's why initially things like spotify i always struggled with because i'm like i i I'd, I'd still rather go and buy a cd from a band's web store than do it like that or go buy a t-shirt or something uh and then eventually the reality of like well this is how music's going to be from now kind of set in and i ended up getting apple music but yeah, I, I think that would be an interesting thing if you you could have like a contribute X amount to developer button within the game. Because you know what? You appreciate games, I think, on a different level, you know, having studied games or kind of working in the games industry. So th there's not going to be a huge amount of people that are going to want to give a little bit more, but there will be enough that it probably would be worthwhile if uh, Apple found a good way to reward the developers who are pretty much keeping this service alive and, and people engaged with it. So, yeah, good idea, mate. Touche. And um, with that, I think it is time for us to move on to the news. News on the mark! All right, Jack, this fucking thing. Um, so, Fallout 76 uh, is a bad game. Um, First of all, whenever you hear Fallout 76, it just it just conjures images of failure, doesn't it? <laughs> what, is, what is the one thing you could do to make the experience of playing Fallout 76 that much worse? Uh, I don't know. Uh, make me play it. <laughs> well, make you play it and also make you spend a hundred dollars for an annual subscription or thirteen dollars a month. Um, so, 
there's two parts to this. There's the the actual announcement yesterday, and there's what's been going on afterwards. Um, the long story short is uh, it was announced uh, Fallout First, which is a hundred dollar annual subscription to get a bunch of stuff in regards to Fallout Seventy Six, which is just the most fucking preposterous thing I could imagine, and is just like, how can we bleed whatever is left from this stone and also try and take some attention away from the outer wilds or the outer worlds i still keep getting those two games confused which uh seems to be really liked at the moment do you know what really i really struggle with is that bethesda has so much credit in the bank in terms of being a company that people really like and it's not that they're getting away with it because they're being called out for it. But say if somebody grimy like Konami or EA or Activision did this, like it just, I mean, they are rightly being called out for it, but like it would be like this massive, massive thing. And it feels like Bethesda almost get a little bit of leeway just because of how much people like that company. And don't get me wrong, like everything about the way they've built their studio and the games that they make is quite cool in a monolithic sense, but, like, this is some fucking shady-ass bullshit that's uh, going I, on here. I think that that the, the perception isn't quite, like... At, a, at one point in time, I would agree with you, but I think that we've, we've kind of moved away a little bit. And because we've had so many incidents now of Bethesda games being utterly fucking broken at launch... And, actually, you know what? I don't even think this is, like, a Bethesda thing. I think it's just a Fallout thing, where... We're at the point now where it's just expected that it's either it's bad, it's broken, it's mediocre, or it's just it's some combination of the three. Um, so you know, like there are there are certain aspects of Bethesda that are still um, very much liked and enjoyed, but I think it, it it's purely just it's a fallout thing at this moment. Um, the the but, fact is that I think Skyrim, like pretty much. Just, just catapulted what was a a, a a successful studio to like absolute heights in terms of cash flow and like popularity and you know it was like memeified and everything and these guys who've been working solidly for years kind of making RPGs for nerds essentially and they'd kind of just sort of Fallout was getting successful as well and like had a, a certain amount of, of street cred. And then that Skyrim catapulted them, and everything since Skyrim has just felt a little bit like diminishing returns. Like, I know Fallout 4 was popular, but then it's just been, like, getting slowly and slowly worse, and, and, and sort of things are turning on, on Bethesda, and I, I they kind of feel like they need to get that Elder Scrolls 6 came out, and it needs to be really good if they want to really, like, recapture people's imagination again. Yeah, and I mean, but keep in mind, like, it's not completely, like, in terms of, because uh, you sometimes have to keep in mind, you know, both the the developers, development side of, of Bethesda and the publishment side of, of Bethesda, and as long as they've got the likes of Wolfenstein and Doom, specifically Doom, and even stuff like um, Dishonored, which I know wasn't, you know, the most kind of successful thing, but, like, critically, it's, it's a very well-acclaimed series. Like, as long as they have that sort of stuff... Um, I don't think that the overall image and brand of Bethesda will be tarnished to a degree, and which is why I think this is still just very much specifically a, a, a Fallout um, issue. Um, I just like to see Todd Howard give a speech where he doesn't start it off with, first of all, we're really sorry about... <laughs> like, 
you just feel like that's the default Word document that comes out when they print off a speech for him to read out. <laughs> but, I, I don't know; it's on a little screen, but I just I pr- much prefer the idea of <laughs> there being a template which starts with an apology. But uh, yeah, so this is from uh, PC Games N, and uh, so the subscription went live yesterday as a time of this recording. Uh, and there were two big features at the top of the list, uh, which were private servers and unlimited storage for crafting uh, materials. Um, according to a big Reddit breakdown of known issues, uh, this is via Forbes, which I can't get onto because you have to subscribe to their fucking website, um, neither of them will work in how you'd want. Uh, private worlds are spawning with looted containers and dead NPCs, uh, which has players thinking that these are existing game instances getting retooled as new worlds. Uh, that's a bit speculative, but this isn't. Uh, anyone on your friends list can join your private server at any time. Uh, that'll be a problem if you've got a large friends list, especially since other premium members can theoretically stay in your created server forever. Uh, then there's also the new scrap box, which stores all your crafting components. Uh, there are multiple reports that a scrap will disappear once it's in the scrap box, uh, which is not generally how you want your storage to work. Um, people have reached out to Bethesda, but there hasn't been any comment at the moment. But basically, these things aren't working as they're meant to be. How very Bethesda, how very Fallout. So basically, you're saying that pe- people can get the same experience that these people are shelling out loads of money for easily. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, and you can spend a hundred euros, a hundred dollars extra a year for the the same experience. So, uh, I imagine at some point these things will work. Um, and for the people that have decided to spend this money, good for you. I'm glad you have that sort of disposable income. Uh, I will be spending that hundred dollars or euros or the equivalent um, in a more productive manner. Yeah, I mean, but this is some A grade clownage. It's fucking spectacular. Um, yeah. I don't think that... <laughs> so we, we, we keep talking about, like, uh, every couple of weeks there's something that comes up which comes into contention for our uh, Konami Corner Award for Ineptitude. And usually the words Randy and or Pitchford are, are attached to that. Um, but this is... We haven't had anything kind of big this year with Bethesda. Uh, I think it was last year that we mentioned i actually know was it was it the the bethesda conference this year at e3 where uh there was the whole like yeah we've had a lot of attention recently and it hasn't been all good was it this year or was it last year that happened or <laughs> what i can't actually it's all a blur yeah I, I mean there's been so much um so much fuckery in the video game industry <laughs> fuckery is uh is, is a solid way of putting it um, yeah, it's either fuckery or ball baggery, and I'm not really. I feel like I want to save ball baggery because it's a term that I I rarely get to use. But what I do, it's just there's a really satisfying cadence to that. Yeah, and uh, actually, speaking of the Konami Corner thing, um, I completely forgot to add this. But did you see the whole thing about Michael Patcher of um the whole with the whole ESA thing, um, leaking all of the public information from like journalists that were a part of E3. Oh god! And he was like, "Yeah, he was like, basically, I don't really think it's a big deal at all. Like the ESA, they have my work address, my work phone, and my work email. They might have my cell phone number, but I'm not sure. Uh, They don't have my birth date, driver's license, or social security number, or they require a driver's license as ID." Uh, He continues, it's only those dumb enough to have listed personal details who might be worried, and I don't think there are many of them. Even so, it's hard to imagine someone showing up my house because they don't like my stock recommendations. 
Um, I mean, he just docks like I mean, how many journalists? Like probably a, a thousand a or something. A couple of thousand. A couple of thousand. Yeah, yeah. He just docked. He's just docks a couple of thousand people. And you know what? Yes. Um, say I write an article and I really don't like I don't know uh, Luigi's Mansion Three. There might be some Nintendo fanboy who is so pissed off with me. He might come to my house and egg it. Or you might show up to my house and murder me. I, I, don't, I very much doubt yeah, the latter. Like, how but like, completely fucking out of touch are you to, to yeah. make that comment? I mean, it's just flippant, isn't it? Like, the only thing you should be doing is you should be loading up the uh, the Todd Phillips apology <laughs> template. <laughs> oh, man. I think that needs to be a thing now, is the Todd Phillips apology template, like, well, every time. I mean, Jim Sterling's been making good use of it, so... Um, yeah, I mean, he... Uh, Todd Howard, not Todd Phillips. Fucking hell, Todd Phillips directed the Joker. Sorry, Mark. My, I, I am still extremely tired, my friend. Um, it's right. I mean, Todd Phillips is his own kind of brand of being a clown as well. So, <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> uh, what did he say? That was just. Oh yeah, wasn't it something uh, like? I basically, it's like S- PC S- culture is killing. Yeah, movies, SJWs have ruined comedy culture and whatever. And okay, yeah, cool. uh, okay, make another yeah, fucking um, hangover, hangover film. movie. Yeah, yeah but as. Uh, as society evolves, adapts and change what's funny, you know, like, you know, in the seventies people would laugh at Dublon Tondras, but you can't do that anymore. Jack, because... you're preaching to the choir, all right. Oh, what yeah, what it's a like yes, point. Benny Hill does not work in fucking twenty nineteen, all right? I Jesus, mean, right, yeah. So like Todd Howard apology template. Yeah, but I, I, I like Sterling because he's always consumer focused. I mean, people often say that it will come across as like a, a moaner or this, that and the other thing, but like there is not many people out there that are consistently calling out the shit that gets fucking bandied around in the video game industry, and it's it, it's a tireless, it's a tiring job for him, and he does it tirelessly. And you know, there are times where you're like, oh man, you know, give it a rest. But it's good that he doesn't give it a rest because it is making an impression, and he's got what nearly a million subscribers on YouTube. So like, hats off to the guy, you know. Yeah. Um... Moving on, this was, uh, I think we was going to talk about this last week, but we didn't actually end up in a show. Uh, Analog, um, who are most known for making uh, some really cool retro hardware to play all of your old games. Uh, They've announced the Pocket, an all-new, all-encompassing retro handheld that will be coming in 2020. Uh, the main feature on the menu of support for this is is it plays a wide range of port- portable gaming systems. Um, out of the box, uh, the focus is on the Game Boy uh, line full support for Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and the Game Boy Advance. Uh, Analog also promises support for Sega Game Gear, Neo Geo Pocket Color, and Atari Lynx, uh, which is great because I don't know if you've ever seen the Atari Lynx, but um, did you ever see the Sega Game Gear? Yeah, it's, it's massive. It, yeah. it, it's like if someone took... A Nintendo Switch, and then just bloated it and added steroids to it. Yeah, but think of that with even a smaller screen, worse buttons, and even worse battery life. Uh, it's and also like just no support in terms of software at all. Uh, it's yeah. dreadful. And that's why Atari aren't in the console market, <laughs> among other reasons. Um, in addition, the Pocket includes a full synthesizer and music sequencer known as Nano Loop, uh, designed for music creation. The Game Boy has become a popular t- uh, tool for chiptune artists, but Nanolite seems like, seems like a significant leap forward in terms of available features. Um, and this, perhaps most exciting, according to Eurogamer, the Pocket will include a second dedicated FPGA chip aimed at developers. 
Uh, Analog specifically mentions uh, Mister uh, in its fact sheet, suggesting that developers can port or create new FGP, uh, FPGA cores specifically for this additional chip. So in theory, this means that the Pocket could support classic arcade games, early micros, and other consoles. Uh, the main selection of support consoles is, of course, driven by a separate FPGA chip. Um, this is a very sexy piece of kit. Um, Dave Ryan is not on the show, but I can hear him still from afar. Um, just declaring his love for this thing. Stroking his thighs like Vic Reeves and shooting stars, probably. Somewhat serious. Um, it comes with stereo speakers. It has a 3.5mm headphone jack, which unfortunately in 2019 is more of a luxury than anything else these days. Uh, rechargeable lithium iron battery, micro SD card slot, a Game Boy style link cable port, and a USB C charging port. Uh, there is analog have also promised that a dock uh, which will be sold separately uh, which will offer HDMI output, dual USB input support for both Bluetooth controller and even compatibility with the analog DAC for those wanting to use the pocket with CRT television. Uh, this is insane. Wow. Like, yeah, it's, it's fucking incredible the amount that they've kind of thought about with this. Um, it's, it's so cool that someone is like i don't know about you but i mean you've moved around a hell of a lot so i don't know if this is the case but i still have all of my game boy cartridges and i guarantee i haven't picked a lot of them up in probably 10 or 15 years so the idea that somebody can market a piece of kit that can kind of give life to something that you know i i once played like that i can plug back in my original copy of tetris for the game boy into it and it will play it in 2019 that's just really fucking cool and it's a ga- a thing that will play game boy games that is backlit i it's just yeah that's that's the the big thing and that's also kind of the case for as well like mentioning like the sega game gear and the atari Lynx, um because they both suffer drastically from like you have to be playing like in the right light to be able to play those games um and they don't offer the 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 screens on those two are like even those aren't as good as what the game boy has and the game boys like the original game boy isn't great for that so um this entire thing uh it's apparently it's going to set uh, be set for retail for about 199 dollars um and i think that like that's that's an investment i would put down to be able to just throw any handheld game at it and play it um yeah yeah. i kind of hope it's to me this is kind of like this is a real purest piece of technology like you know the people who only listen to records on vinyl and shit like it's one of it's not quite that level of wanky but it's sort of in the ballpark (laughs) of the intention of like people that not everybody wants to play ROMs. Uh, if you, it's a good way to to play something that you can't obtain anymore legally, so you could play it old school. But if you are somebody who still has all this stuff, it's such a great gift for somebody that's a, a retro game fan that that is sat there, you know, with a lamp pointed directly at their Game Boy in the corner if they want to play Doctor Mario or something. So yeah, I'm very pro this. It, it's the price point is kind of high, but I feel like it's something that. Uh, only like a real enthusiast would be interested in so i i think that um the price point is justified just because of all of the additional things like the fact that you've got uh bluetooth support for controllers the fact that it will probably have a docking station that which will come with its own additional cost uh the fact that you know you'll be able to use a hdmi port to to get up on the screen like all of the bits and pieces i think 200 dollars uh is 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 pretty reasonable for what that thing will do and all of the extra capabilities yeah but hopefully it's, definitely, it's, a kick it's definitely in the a niche ass. audience as well 
hopefully it's a kick in the ass for Nintendo to just get all the games that people are probably now going to go off eBay for like five quid, just put them all on the Switch, please. Uh, yeah. Like yesterday, like you should have done. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ubisoft are adapting Watch Dogs into a TV show for tweens. I mean, okay. Um, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, so according to The Hollywood Reporter, the developer is um, taking the Watch Dogs franchise and turning it into a tamer cyber mystery series aimed at tweens. Um, there's some concept art that Eurogamer have, and it kind of looks like there's a young protagonist with some sort of halt, uh, hacker-esque alter ego. Um, now, oh, God, is said... it really going to be called Captain Laserhawk? Uh, no, no, <laughs> no. So Captain Laserhawk. So basically, uh, Far Cry Three is getting a similar thing. Uh, okay. That's based off of you know the the Blood Dragon DLC. Yeah. Yeah, and they're doing that with. Did you see the Castlevania series on Netflix? No. Okay. No, you should because it's fucking amazing. Because it's basically it good. It's it's basically an anime with Castlevania, and it's fucking awesome. Okay, I'll like, take it back. Like legit, it's it's awesome. Uh, just for the line, I'm Trevor fucking Belmont. Like that line alone, yeah, sells it for me. Um, the Captain Only Laser previously said by middle managers and bank companies. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like, I guess this is a thing because we had the 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 Cuphead announcement a couple of uh, weeks ago or months ago. Um, so this seems to be a thing going forward with studios and Netflix and, you know, Netflix is, is just trying to grab all the content that they can. And I guess this is a new direction to go in. And, you know, I'd rather see video games and their content be used in this kind of way than in big budgeted movies, because that just seems to be the worst way to present these fucking things. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's cool like the watchdogs idea of being like a super hacker is is pretty cool um yeah i don't know why do you think it needs the cachet of of having watchdogs attached to it like if somebody was just developing a a sort of cyber mystery thing for for teenagers without the watchdog brand attached to it do you think it would be any more or less relevant like I mean, I don't expect it to be, like, a massive thing. I mean, I don't exactly think, like, Watch Dogs has, um, you know, any kind of mass market appeal. Um, To be honest, I think they've missed a trick by not doing a whole, like, Brexit animated series. But, but, hey, here we are. Um, We have a a cartoon as a fucking Prime Minister, so there you go. Oh, please. General um, election, 12th of December. Go vote, everybody. Yeah. Uh, Jack, you're voting for me, sir. Um, <laughs> I, I am voting for you, Mark. Yeah, yeah congratulations. You, you, you literally actually are. Um, the, are you, is your party going to be the standing at the back stu- and looking stupid pie or something? I'm not sure yet. I'll, That's I'll... a Blackadder 3 reference for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have that conversation afterwards. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it's... The fact that it, they've said it at the same fucking audience as like, the likes of Paw Patrol, you know? Um, uh it's just it's it's a it's a different thing. It's unique and like I'm I'm fine with that. Like you know, it's not exactly like I would be going out my way to watch a, a Watch Dogs, um, you know, anime or Watch Dogs live action. I don't exactly think that Watch Dogs has the kind of content and and the story to do anything that wouldn't just be a fucking substandard like sci-fi sort of thing anyway. That 
I probably would have been watching on Channel 5 back in like 2002 next to Martial Law. So, fuck it. Yeah, do it like this. Do it as a kid's TV show. Yeah. By the way, every now and then I still remember Channel 5 exists and I'm like, huh, who's watching this? <laughs> um, uh, People in their 60s and the unemployed, I imagine. Yeah, okay. People with broken remote controls Sorry. that broke at the exact moment that they got to Channel 5 and then they couldn't skip back or forward. That's my of hell. Uh, speaking of hell, WWE 2K20 <laughs> is a broken fucking mess. Jack oh, Lazell. Yeah, it is. Fucking thing. What oh, fuck. dear, dear Christ. It, yeah, I mean, for fuck's sake, I don't know when or why, but they decided to make WWE like this. It They're trying to line it up as a sort of annual competitor to like the NBA 2Ks or like the FIFAs and the Maddens of the world. And it just doesn't really need to be that like just focus on making better games and i feel like the diminishing returns over the years as they've just put less and less attention into it and it now feels more and more like they're just getting interns at 2k to just go you know you develop this fucking avatar of macho man randy savage and that's why he now looks like an amish guy like <laughs> or like lord Farquaad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with with like a weird chopped off bot. I mean, every single character model in this game. I mean, th- there's maybe what a hundred characters in it. Maybe five of them look good. Why? Yeah, it's it's the there's a lot of kind of dead eyed, cross eyed sort of uh, looks going on, and it. I think we've reached a boiling point where we've seen this over the last couple of years, where, um there's been a clear like look we have nothing more we can do with this in terms of gameplay so let's just add as many characters as we can and just bank on getting those pre-order sales in for like hey you can play as sting or you can play as kurt angle or goldberg or whatever yeah um, when was the last time they updated that engine because it's the same engine every year oh, where just I, I don't know i don't fucking know collision boxes all over the place the glitches i mean it, the the only good thing about how bad WWE 2K20 is, and like, didn't they only send one advanced copy out to Forbes? And part of me thinks that's because, like you said earlier in a podcast, no one can get on Forbes because everyone's got an ad blocker that like is is smart. Um, yeah, well, they <laughs> also, even they thought it was dog shit. So yeah, well, they also they um had like a, an influencer event. Uh, they had a bunch of like influencers come in, and they all came back and just trashed the fucking thing. Like, <laughs> if you if you can't even get the influencers on your side, you have a serious problem on your hands. Uh, I mean, WWE really needed some positive press lately because, like, in in real world WWE, the product is as cold as it's been in a long, long time, and they they just you know signed that new deal with Fox or whatever, and. They've got another company snapping at their heels who seem to have mastered, you know, doing the smart thing, which is actually fan service. It's like, right, well, you've got a fan base who really like this, so why don't you listen to them? And and AEW seems like that's what they're doing. 
and they've had a little bit of success. Yes, with a huge investment from the Khan family, who own such luminary franchises as Jacksonville Jaguars and Fulham Football Club, but still, like they're they're, they're taking a chunk out of WWE from a publicity standpoint. So they just needed something, you know, to be a bit positive. They don't need all of the extra negative energy. Even Vince McMahon's character in this looks terrible, Mark. You know, yeah. he's and the like, boss. So, I mean, I'm sure, like, more will come from the fallout. But um, this game had been developed for the... Going back to, like, 2013, I think. Um, it was uh, visual concepts um, alongside assisting Ukes. And then Ukes pulled out this year. So it was just visual concepts that were working on this. <clears throat> and it's bad enough when you have um, a game that you've been working in conjunction with someone else uh, to put this fucking thing together that has to be out every year. Like, just... Annual iterations of a series are just the worst. Um, and we saw it with Assassin's Creed, and we're seeing it with this, and we see it with um, all of the you know yearly sports franchises and just churning out the same thing with minor tweaks here and there. But this is like the clearest case of the regression in quality due to having that annual iteration. And it's just like the, the character models and like... I was watching the, and I'm, I think I'm pretty sure you watched it as well, the the Giant Bomb Quick Look. Mm-hmm. And, like, you've got Becky Lynch as, like, one of the cover stars of this game. And her character model is horrendous. Like, yeah. it is actually horrendous. Right. The thing that, that I don't, that I found weird as well is Becky Lynch. And I know this, this is probably, I don't know if this is the right thing to complain about here. But Becky Lynch is in, like, absolutely amazing shape. Like, she looks fantastic. She's fierce as fuck and they make her look like a blobby blotchy mess and they cover her in a t-shirt and it just looks like she's wearing a fucking garbage sack and like they just make her look so ungainly when she's like one of the coolest most badass athletic women in the whole fucking world fucking ronda rousey like oh my god they make her head look like a snooker ball that someone's painted cornrows onto it's just embarrassing for them yeah, so part of me thinks that this is like I don't know if, if my my tinfoil hat came on, and you remember back to Tony Hawk's Five, and that was the last game with Activision, and um, f- Mark, when when we mentioned Tony Hawk's Five, <laughs> you know, a little part of the the soul inside me dies. Yeah, yeah, I know. Same here it's as well, like, and Jeff. It's and like Jeff watching Gershman as well. You know, when people say like oh, watching the prequel trilogy is murdering my childhood with Star Wars. And I always scoff and I'm like, yeah. oh, come on. That's, not, that's what Tony Hawk's Fire was for me. RRP, my childhood. Um, like, there was a lot of whole... The whole thing around that is that, you know, this was the last game of Activision and Activision just didn't give a fuck and they kind of wanted to... <clears throat> I don't think they wanted to, like, tarnish the, the brand of Tony Hawk so if anyone else picked it up, it wouldn't be as popular um or wouldn't make as much money or whatever the deal was but yeah that thing was fucking horrendous and i think this is the last game with like 2k publishing this or whatever the the licensing deal is but um there was a 20 minute video that i i saw yesterday that just kind of shows all manner of collision issues and and physics issues and Kurt Angle like having no neck and spine and it looks like something out of the friggin um, Exorcist and it's <clears throat> the only other thing Kurt I can Angle think... is the Nexusist the only other thing I can think is that like 2k this year thought fuck it we're just gonna go like 
our, our marketing and publishing is we're going to go full on like with the meme content and you know we're going to sell the game this way and you know just a bunch of people will be stupid enough to buy it because of that because if we had nothing like if we if we just put out this game like as normal no one's going to buy it so if we make it as bad as possible maybe we'll get a couple of extra dollars and then we just call it quits because I, I can't think of what else it could be open finder navigate to documents word double click todd howard apology <laughs> It sucks, man, and it's yeah. it's it's it really <sighs> it's rough because I used to love playing WWE video games, and and now I I can't remember the last time I bought one. I think I uh, picked up like two K sixteen for like ten pounds or something in a deep discount. But yeah, yeah this is... I think I think the last one I got was um, I think it was the Punk one that had like the whole Attitude Era storyline campaign mode. I think that was the last top one I would have played. Yeah, uh, Punk in WWE just goes to prove how long ago that was. Well, it's six years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, it might not be... Uh, uh, <laughs> that could be changed uh, within within a short time frame, but... Frame of time. Um, but we have a yep. wrestling podcast that we do every fucking uh, three years that we can discuss that about. So, um, yeah. I think we shall leave the video game chat or the news, shall we say. We shall leave the news for the time being. And we're going to move on to our book club feature of the week. Um, this is a game... So we do um, the book club feature where we talk about games that are very uh, influential or culture- culturally relevant, um, as we did with Wipeout um, on our last episode. This one's a little bit different. This is more of kind of a personal one for me. Um, because by no means is this game groundbreaking. By no means is this game um, you know, revolutionary in any way. But it's very much like a, a personal piece of uh, nostalgia for me, um, going back to my time on the original PlayStation. Uh, as this week, we're going back to 1996 to talk about a little game called Pandemonium. Pandemonium is a 1996 platform video game developed by Toys for Bob and published by Crystal Dynamics for the PlayStation, Sega Saturn, Microsoft Windows, and get this, the N-Gage. Oh, oh my god. I mean, yeah. can we please do a book club on the N-Gage at some point? We, we really should, shouldn't we? Yeah, alright, I'll put that you know, in the can. You know, um, you know Yahtzee's thing where it's like, let's all laugh at an industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. That, that's got that written all over it. Sorry, continue no, your pandemonium no, opener. No uh, Pandemonium features Fargus, a joker, and Nikki, a sorceress, who unwittingly casts a spell that destroys the town. Uh, the town doesn't have a name. The goal of the game is to reach the wishing engine, where they can wish the town back to normal. For each level, the player can choose which character to be. Each has a special move, Fargus can deliver a special spinning attack, and Nikki can double jump. And that's about as far as the differences are. Uh, the game consists of a great variety of unique gameplay objects, such as watermelons, clouds, spiderwebs, and logs. Wikipedia are really selling this game. A sequel called Pandemonium 2 Miracle Jumpers in Japan was released in 1997 for PlayStation and Microsoft Windows. Uh, so, like, the, the, the description on Wikipedia doesn't exactly have a whole lot to talk about, because really, like, with Pandemonium, there isn't a whole lot to discuss. Um, it's a 
2D or 2.5D um, platform side-scrolling game. So, and this is quite popular with the PlayStation back in the day, where you would have um, a platforming game that ran on a the 2D plane, but it was in a 3D environment. So, um, you know, the camera would kind of move around and would do all kind of manners and bits and pieces, um, but you were still running effectively left to right. And I am the platforming prodigy, so naturally, back in the day, um, I fell in love with this game because it took the 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 idea of platforming and, and it kind of threw this 0.5D angle that I'd never seen before. And since that time, I've gone back and I've played a fair amount of the, the PlayStation games that did this kind of thing. Um, but Pandemonium was the one that was the most... Um, it's the kind of thing like you have a like a wrestling match that's about eight minutes long and it's just bang 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 just kind of one hit after the another like just high spot after high spot and that's what pandemonium is like it just doesn't let up from beginning to end snackable content very snackable very snackable and what makes that work is it's kind of the thing like when you think about um a Mario game like one of the things that makes the Mario series work and, and Odyssey was kind of the real uh, epitome of this and I'd say Galaxy actually as well is they never stop throwing like new ideas and mechanics um, that might only exist in like one part of a level and you'll never see them again in the game but for that moment like that just this is the gimmick and this is what you have to work with that's and, kind of that's a conquer's bad fur day style thing i think obviously uh, that came afterwards that was what of, i always liked about that but I, I i think that the thing with that is like the the ideas in conquer's bad fur day they're they're fewer and far between where like in a mario level you could have like three kind of gimmicks or ideas thrown at you over the course of you know a whole game where like you look at just the amount of stuff that you can do in um in like galaxy or odyssey Oh yeah, but those are fucking masterpieces. Whereas yeah, like, this yeah. is quite a small joint, as it of were. Of course, um, and Pandemonium is is quite similar to that, and it very much like in its level design. Because so there's I I can't remember how many levels there are exactly. We'll say thirty as a round number. But each of these levels, a they're very lengthy. Um, like you know, a level could take you anywhere up to five to ten minutes, depending on how stuck you get on certain aspects of it um but even within those levels they throw just a whole bunch of fucking like hazards and mechanics and ideas at you um that may show up once and you'll never see for the rest of the game again and like when you think of, of, of a platforming game or any kind of game when you think about like environments you usually come to like okay well there's an ice level and there's a fire level and there's a jungle level and there's a desert level and you know even like the likes of mario have, have fallen guilty to that trope though again part of the charm of like an, an odyssey is that they manage to go a little bit more out there with some of their ideas and themes but like you play pandemonium and it is cliche to say but no two levels are the same like you have um acid swamps you have uh, like these castles in the sky where you can turn into a dragon and you have to uh, deal with like these small zeppelin like bombs that you have to avoid um you have like these kind of massive sprawling forest areas where you end up like walking on um bridges that connect between like the tops of trees um 
you have, you know, your kind of atypical levels as well, like areas with fires and deserts and that sort of stuff. But even within them, there's just a whole manner of different things that you're doing. And it's, when I think back to it, it's pretty impressive because, again, this was like 1996. Like, there is a ton of stuff going on here for a game that was not exactly like a big game by any means. And I don't think it was ever intended to be big, but like, they pack, for the amount of time that you spend with it, they pack a whole bunch of content in here. Um, and don't you think this kind of feels like one of those mid range games that don't really happen anymore? Where Absolutely. it's like, it's developed by Chris and Dynamax, who have, like, in the last few years given a new coat of paint to tomb, the Tomb Raider franchise right so they're still around which is cool because if you look at these like 90s popular games a lot of the developers are now sadly deceased because uh, they were bought by another bigger developer and shuttered at some point right but I think like the idea of somebody now making a sort of widely released game where the, the story is uh, yeah so there's a disgruntled jester who has a stick puppet and a crazy woman who does flips who wants to be a wizard and uh, yeah they destroy a town and they've got to go find something that will grant them wishes to regenerate it like that to me now is like a sort of game that you get on the Nintendo Switch for a tenner that's you know developed by two blokes who work out of a shed so i think it's pretty cool that there's a lot of these games in the 90s where you've got like this unbound creativity and not only gameplay like you've already mentioned but also in sort of content of story and, and understanding of how things work yeah and like it <laughs> i guess that's a, a whole nother um uh, episode in itself and it's actually the kind of thing that will probably be really good to get Peter Wellington back on for because we've had many conversations about this um, on the show and elsewhere about that yeah like back in the day you had that mid-range publisher and developer that the the double a um, publisher if you will um, and that just doesn't exist anymore and again going back to zero punctuation there's a particular episode about midway that just yeah like <laughs> the fuck happened there it um, hits home but like it's and, now and kind the of... thing is you only you just have you have the triple e and you have the indie and there's mm. no in between and in fairness like there are indies that have kind of you know merged into that double e space yeah but when they get there that's the point where it's like okay so then e3 happens and microsoft are like hey you remember this company doing their own thing over here and got really successful we just bought them now they're working for us and then, you know, like a few years later, it's like, yeah, we had to shut that company because they weren't doing so good. <laughs> yeah, so a thing like this, yeah, it, it probably wouldn't exist today. And that's kind of the case, really, with uh, a whole bunch of the, the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 back catalogue. Like, you'd never have seen them made today, um, or they'd be made under very, very different circumstances. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good reason to celebrate them and stuff like this, though. Absolutely, and you know, I I have a ton of games from the original PlayStation that fit into like this kind of uh, this kind of area. There's uh, a game called I think it was Roscoe McQueen, I want to say, which is like this firefighting game where it you just kind of go from floor to floor putting out fires. Um, and again, it's like that's probably something you might see on the the Apple Arcade Store for three quid. There's no fucking way that gets released as like a forty quid game uh, in in two thousand nineteen. Um, but yeah with pandemonium like as mentioned it just there's a level of creativity and and stuff that 
the likes of uh, a Donkey Kong or a Mario in the day, uh, or even like a Crash Bandicoot, I guess, because if we're doing the comparison to the PlayStation, that would have been applauded for, that unfortunately Pandemonium just got really overlooked with. And I don't know whether it's just because of um, it not being like a first-party game, because, you know... There was a lot more with with Crash in terms of um, Sony's investment in that character, um, and I guess there was just like neither of the characters in Pandemonium had that particular kind of mascot feel about them, and and graphically, you know, the game wasn't exactly a looker in 1996, and it's not exactly aged particularly well since, but it runs still like it, I don't know if it runs exactly at 30 frames per second, but it's it's pretty close to, and it's pretty consistent with that. Um, so like the next Crystal Dynamics thing or that they were involved with was Gex. So is there like any of the um the ideas from this game which sounds like they threw quite a lot at it that kind of that sort of overlap with, with Gex or Yeah, so it... the, the the irony of that is is Gex was actually like that attempt to make a, a mascot platformer. Um but they actually managed to strip away all of the the fast fluid um just the just the pace and the the creativity that actually kind of all went out of the window. Like I, there's not really much about Gex the Gecko that I can think to talk about. Um, I mean, the idea that you had a gecko that wanted to be James Bond is like yeah, I, but you, I, I'm, you, I'm in. I'm you, like, you had a goldfish five years earlier that was James Pond that wanted to do the exact same thing, and I'm far more on board with that. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, that was that was the case there where clearly um, there was a, a call to like, right, we need our own mascot. You know, you've got Crash out there doing its thing and you had even the likes of like Spyro that were uh, kind of the big hitters on the, the original PlayStation. Um, and and just Gex was, was not that. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting point actually that I'd not considered, but no, they're, they're two very, very different games and there's not really a lot of crossover uh, between them in in how they feel um mm. and everything else but um yeah I, there's not really a lot i can more i can say because it's it... talk to me about the um like the the kind of the presentation of the um characters and how they interact because to me reading this it not knowing an awful lot about pandemonium like it it, it sounds like really fun and really interesting is the game kind of got like a good sense of humor about it or is it more focused around the sort of details of the gameplay like what's the writing in the game like yeah so i mean unfortunately like um the 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 dialogue and the the cutscenes like are very much restricted to the start of the game to give you a a motivation for what you're doing and the end of the game okay Uh, in between there, it is like okay. Here's the uh, the I say overworld. It's it's the level selectors. You just go f- from one level to the next, and you just go left and right to go to each level, uh, and that's it. Like the, the there's no kind of more further um, establishment of these characters. And I think Pandemonium Two, which I never played, but I've at least looked at it, tries to do a little bit more in terms of kind of fleshing these characters out. But um, but yeah, Pandemonium purely exists to be a, a side-scrolling platformer with at least just like the opening cutscene to be like, hey, that town got eaten, go and save it, and it doesn't do anything more past that. Um, it would have been nice if the game had allowed these two characters to have a little bit more about them because, really, to be quite honest, like the jester 
uh, is completely useless. Like, he doesn't have the mobility. Like, the, the double jump is really fucking beneficial. Like, it kind of almost... You know how some games, instead of having a uh, easy or difficult mode, they may have, like, characters that are have certain restrictions or benefits, and that kind of acts as the... the the replacement for an easy and difficult mode that's kind of what this is the case here because with the du double jump you can reach areas that you have to either like go the long way around or you know there are enemies that are easier to jump onto because you don't have to jump onto a platform first um so the, you can really see the difference between the two and you never end up like i i barely ever played as the jester because he's just he's just a bit unwieldy to use like his attack he does like a cartwheel it, it, the collision's a bit wonky, so sometimes you end up just taking damage. Um, so yeah, like, but I imagine for the the time, you can definitely tell that like a significant portion of this game and its development and the investment was put into the level design, and mm. I think that's that's the real thing that um, that's the main thing when you think of Pandemonium. You just did think of each level and the the unique characteristics about them and like there's an area in certain levels where you can turn into a frog um there's a dragon there's a rhino and then they kind of add like mechanics on top of that and which i think is something they could have maybe expanded on more but that's the sort of stuff that the, the game really kind of champions itself on well because i think like so this is a 96 game right so that's the same year that the original tomb raider came out and it seems to me more like you're saying nikki is the main character so there's, there's almost like a, an opportunity left on the table of like characterizing Nikki a bit more and then having a bit more like cultural penetration of like having a, a cool female lead in a, in a video game series at the time. So maybe that was what they tried to do with Pandemonium 2 and it just it just didn't quite materialize. Yeah, they, they definitely tried to make her a little bit more, um, uh, I'm not going to say mature, but just gave a kind of more of an attitude and character about her um and yeah it's it's amazing as well right because i will say this even though like graphically the game hasn't aged particularly well but let's be honest what playstation games have you go back and you look at that original tomb raider game and that fucking thing as far as i'm concerned is completely unplayable but if you watch like some footage of the original pandemonium that thing moves as swiftly and um is is, is playable the, the controls and like the characters are a little bit floaty um like mm. the the they can jump you know like five times the the height of themselves like it's a bit mad like that um but I just it's, think it, it's funny that like you know you've got this company that's working on this game like with with essentially a female main character um and it's a platformer and it's released in the same year as team reader and then it just it doesn't quite hit or whatever and then like whatever two decades later they're working on rebooting the franchise that they were kind of directly in competition with in, for people's attention with that sort of similar game feel to it i think that's that's pretty fun right when you look at it like that yeah yeah <laughs> um i remember the soundtrack being quite memorable as well but it's um it's probably just because i played the fucking thing so many times that just that's the way music works you know uh, and i have an ear i have an earworm for that kind of thing so with platformers you have to have a good soundtrack because if it's kind of the devilish platformers that you usually enjoy then you're going to be hearing it a lot and there's going to be a lot of repeated uh levels like it, yeah. how, what's the difficulty curve like on the game is it tough <sighs> to play or it's it is definitely one of those um 
like that that era genre of platformers where they are they are like you had to play video games to be able to play this fucking thing because you only had two hit points and then you were dead um, oh wow yeah. so that is um isn't that just basically cuphead-esque kind of to a degree yeah um yeah. and and getting like uh additional hit points um they're kind of few and far between in each level so mm-hmm. and the game moves at a pace so uh you know like the like it's kind of split into like three sections i guess and the first section of like 10 12 levels uh are, are manageable but as you get into that second world if you will like there is a noticeable spike in difficulty um so it's not for the faint of hearted like yeah it's 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 a fucking challenge i'm pretty sure if i went back and played it today um it would beat me around a bit before i kind of yeah uh, got my grasp about me again i mean it it seems like in terms of the design of just looking at the levels and the, the variation that like you that you previously mentioned like a great deal of care was taken with the aesthetics of this game like somebody has really put their kind of heart and soul into this in terms of the art direction right yeah it's it definitely has like it's it's because again it's one of those things where like art direction can sometimes be more crucial than the actual kind of graphical fidelity of a game um, oh, yeah i mean that's very i mean it's truer now than it's ever been right yeah but i mean you think back and i always use this as, as the example the original game the first game we did as our book club feature was linked to the past which came out in 1991 and as far as I'm concerned, that game graphically is timeless. You know, that game will look as good to me um, as it did in 1991, as it will in 2019, as it will in 2049. Um, yeah, the, the sprite thing has kind of maintained a certain level of acceptance yeah. among the video game community. And the the original PlayStation is very, very hit and miss. And as mentioned, like the original Tomb Raider is just both graphically and and in terms of its actual playability uh it's just oh, it's terrible but though pandemonium i wouldn't say you know is kind of graphically a looker it does have its own very distinctive um art direction that it goes with um the the overall level design and the creativity you know there's so much that goes on there that and at no point does the game suffer kind of performance wise and there's a lot that's going on at points and um there's some kind of interesting stuff with the backgrounds that um it could have been skipped over to kind of save on memory but it, it does try to capture your, your eye at all times uh, throughout the game and there's some really good stuff with lighting as well points as well um mm-hmm. which by that point still wasn't you know a thing that games were focusing on because quite rightly just the technology wasn't there um but yeah it's, it has some part of part of effects and bits and pieces and there are a bunch of minor details of the game um, that I probably didn't consider at the time um, that I, as a a wiser, older man, can now appreciate. Mm. Yeah, I gotta say the colour palette and stuff looks really, really cool. It's very striking. I think this is it's it's part of what the original PlayStation, when it came out and stuff, and and we mentioned it a lot in the previous thing, talking about Wipeout, it's just like the, the, the up jump with the disc games and the quality of the the fidelity of the colors and the shapes and stuff like it just it, it kind of looks like enrapturing and you see that with a lot of early playstation games that they go very heavy on the be the ability to have lots of different shades and there's lots of different brights and stuff here that, that look really really cool to play oh yeah it's it's just a wonderfully colorful game um mm. in an era of grays and browns 
with more greys and browns uh pandemonium was not afraid to just fucking throw all the colors it could at you and uh that should be applauded definitely mark final elevator pitch for this game pandemonium what have you got for me if like me you are uh you have an affinity for the platforming genre uh pandemonium is one of the more um under appreciated games from the genre that i think still holds up still stands the test of the time definitely offers a challenge um and if you just want to see a team just kind of go in there and just throw like level after level and idea after idea in a a package that isn't that doesn't uh, feature uh, an italian plumber uh, i think that pandemonium is definitely worth having a look at if you've never seen it before excellent Thanks very much. That's why they do. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Um, <laughs> we, I, as I, I'd like to remind everyone that Mark has paid exclusively in sandwiches, so and keep I that will in mind. continue to enjoy those sandwiches. <laughs> uh, you damn well do it. We, as always, have been linked to the cast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, Dave Ryan was on assignment this week. Hopefully, we can get him back for the next episode because uh, we did want to talk about Saints Row. Um, and I'm really looking forward to having that conversation. Um, Speaking of colourful, my word. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, again, you uh, can find us on all of the podcasting platforms of your choice. Uh, you can follow us online on Twitter at Link to the Cast. Uh, we're on Facebook at Link to the Cast as well. Um, I, as always, you can follow me at Lithium Project. The man over there, you can follow at Jack Lazell. Um, any final words any final thoughts before we head out of here for the evening I love Mishy and he loves me and also most crucially if you're in the UK make sure you are registered to vote do it Um, it, it just have your voice heard it, it, it doesn't I don't care what you think just make sure someone hears your voice because we have a situation where nobody is agreeing on anything in a room full of people and none of them have a majority so go out there and and just be the change man just vote everybody if it happens on monday which it looks like it's increasingly likely to do it please please vote and on that note we will see you next week bye